0: <laughs> I have a coworker that no matter how many times he hears the word Kubernetes, he always says Kubernetes. <laughs> I've quit trying to correct him because it's just that's the way it is.
1: I've that's heard great. some weird pronunciation of Kubernetes. 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 Kubernetes.
0: Kubernetes. Kubernetes. Kubernetes.
1: The podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 353. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. Might actually be right today, too. We're in the Mintcast channel and IRC at irc.spotchat.org. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the MintCast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at MintCast.org. This is Leo, and with me today is Joe. Hello. Bo. Hey. Tony Hughes. Hi, guys. Moss. Yes, I am. And Josh Hawk. Hey, guys. We're recording on Sunday, January 24th, 2021. First up, in our wanderings, I have second thoughts about Kubuntu. Moss has a new toy. Joe has been playing with watches. Tony's been editing audio. Josh hasn't broken Arch. And Bo survived the pandemic. Are we all, though? Our news we talk Arpi Pico. Ubuntu's booting on an Apple M1. Flatpak is faster. Project Linux turns into Alma Linux and more. So as I mentioned a second ago, I'm having second thoughts about Kubuntu 2010. um, I'm still on it. Uh, I'm still using it. I really, really love Plasma. But there are just some things that I think are, I don't know, they're they're missing. Something that I need to look into, I think, is um, whether or not the browsers have graphical acceleration by default. Uh, I use Brave a lot, as we'll talk about a little later on, and it's Chromium-based, and just like all the other Chromium-based browsers have uh, GPU acceleration on by default, I don't notice it very much on my desktop, or I'm sorry, on my laptop, Uh, because my laptops, uh, both the laptop itself and the screen I hook it up to are locked at 60 frames a second, or 60 hertz, so, you know, everything looks a little choppy after coming from a 144 hertz screen, right? Right. But if I go to my desktop with the faster refresh rate, you notice that Kubuntu, I I won't even say stutters because it's not really stuttering. It just does not do 144 hertz on Chromium based browsers. Firefox fares a little bit better. Uh, I have, what is it, web render all turned on uh, to force graphical uh, or GPU rendering on that. And that seems to to do better. But uh, when I run the test, on I think, how do you do it? It's like uh Brave colon slash slash uh GPU. You can do that with Chrome, uh you can do it with all the other Vivaldi, all the other ones, right? And it'll tell you, yeah, yeah, everything is uh hardware accelerated except this or maybe this or whatever. Uh so I mean the main page is supposed to be hardware accelerated, but it's not. Or at least it doesn't feel like it is, because it's running at sixty sixty hertz as opposed to one forty-four, whereas the rest of the desktop is running at 144. So I don't know. However, the I think I'll talk about this more in the um, what do you, what do you call that the innards? Yeah, you know that part of the show that I do every two weeks, right? That I can't remember the name of. <laughs> um, Linux Mint does it better; it does it right. I would I would assume GTK based desktops in general do it right. I have a feeling it's a Qt thing, but uh, I don't know. More testing is required, but uh, little things like that really kind of make me wonder. Um, you know what else? What else am I not getting the full benefit of? So. Uh as i mentioned though uh the brave browser i'm doubling down on it it is still my favorite chromium based browser even though edge now has uh what would you call those tabs on the the vertical tabs yeah if you if you've been using edge and uh you'd notice that little squiggly arrow in the top left hand of your screen uh yeah that that's uh it's vertical tabs edge does that now along with vivaldi and probably a couple others i think opera does it too um but Brave Brave and one of the big reasons that I'm sticking with Brave uh, was reminded to stick with Brave is IPFS and we'll talk about that more later but a distributed web a real actual distributed web that you know if your website goes down you still distributed web so fantastic stuff there and uh Brave I think does the internet right in the in the fact that by surfing around the internet, uh, Brave has a basic ad blocker that will get rid of, uh, kind of like Adblock Plus, where it'll get rid of the like egregious ads that are in your face and loud and stuff. Um, but it will leave the quiet, in the corner, out of your face ads there. But on top of that, you'll get ads in the notification bar. Well, the ads in the notification bar that you get, you get paid for that. They will pay you in a currency that they that they conjured up called the Basic Attention Token. And uh, each token is worth about a quarter, something like 25 cents or so. Um, but it's, it's actually not the easiest thing to, in the world to do to extract those coins out of your browser because you're not really meant to. What you're supposed to do with that is pay creators. You're supposed to take that 25 cents that you got and give it to your favorite YouTuber or give it to someone that, uh, that you enjoy their writing or you enjoy, I don't know, like a podcast or something like that. You can just spend your money that way. And it solves this problem if everybody were to participate, right? It would solve the problem of, oh, I make content, but I have to show you ads that circle everything and get annoying to the, uh, to the point that, uh, you know, you don't want to come to my website anymore or you are forced to install an ad blocker or something like that. But yet, you know, the way that Brave does it, you still get paid and the ads are not intrusive and they don't have to be – the web does not have to be that way. And this is a really interesting take on that.
0: That is really interesting. So, let's can you walk through like where does because I I've used Brave and I know the 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 BAT currency, but I, I didn't realize that's what it was actually how it was meant to be used. So, where does the currency like originate? Do they does Brave take money that would normally be paid out by the advertiser selling the advertising space, or how does how does the money originally? As, as far as I know,
1: that's kind of the deal. Where uh, I mean, advertisers pay them, and then they convert a portion of that into bat to pay you for looking at the ad, and you know, seeing the ad and clicking on the ad generate two different amounts as well. So actually, mm. interacting with the ad will pay you more.
0: And and you're not actually, um, I, I guess it's possible, but it's 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 uh, really designed for you to use it towards contributing to
1: creators um yeah yeah to other creators to to people on the web that you you know you appreciate their content uh and so you know you you send them five bat or something like that which turns out to be about a dollar 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 and a quarter
2: i really like the concept man that's
1: really cool how do you know that they received the bat uh i mean you could go look at the blockchain that they have uh but i mean i I yeah i think um in general uh you're yeah, every transaction on any blockchain, except for the ones that are purposely obfuscated like Monero, you can go and verify that, you know, okay. wallet wallet this gave wallet that this amount, and that will forever be look-uppable. Uh, there are websites that are dedicated to just looking up transactions, so you can go and, and verify if you so choose. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could also just be like, hey, man, did you get my bat? And then, you know, they'll be like, yeah. <laughs> There's no
3: reason for them not to, you know, give the basic attention token to the creator because they're making money from the transaction itself.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, uh, there are transaction fees and all the other kind of stuff. That, okay, that uh, makes you know, sense. Regular, yeah. So they, they get I paid. I just question all these things, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's a, it's a good idea to do so. I mean, but it's 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 a bit of a double dip, right? I mean, they get paid for showing you the ad, and then they get paid uh, slightly, well, a lot less for the transaction fee. 'Cause I mean you're you're transferring a dollar and they take a tiny percentage of that, probably like a penny or something to yeah, that effect. Yeah.
4: The only problem with that is I spend too much time on uh, the internet as it is. And if I start watching loads of adverts, it's gonna take longer. Well that's the thing, you don't you don't
1: even have to. You don't even have to do that to get paid. If it pops up, you get paid. You can ignore it, you can close it, you can, you know, you can even uh hide notifications in your operating system, right? The silent modes thing. But you'll still get paid. So you don't even have to touch the ads or even look at them to get paid.
4: Yeah, but you don't, you, you can't block them.
1: Uh, you just need to leave them on block. Well, I mean, you can block them. You just don't get paid for seeing them. Or, you know, you, just, you don't yeah. get paid at all uh, if you do that.
4: Yeah, that's what I mean. But So you've got to have your ad blockers
2: on. Well, off.
1: not necessarily because what you can do in a case like that is turn your ad blockers on for everything but, uh, you know, the the URLs that you're getting from Brave. Do you so have to have an can,
2: account to to store the bat, or does it just store it on the browser as you have it? Yeah, you store it Well, or the, the wallet. The, That's the what The browser I mean, yeah. is the
1: wallet. That's so, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So every browser that you that you spin up uh has its own wallet and its okay. own bat uh, uh amount. But you can tie up to three of them together if you
5: sign up for an account. So okay. it's it's that you know, doesn't sound good enough for me. Why why not? <laughs> I've got too, way too many distros installed, and each one would have a different browser. And uh, if I can only tie three of them together, then I'm in trouble. You yeah. have a lot well, of I mean, bats you the... use them on all your distros, Moss.
1: Well, if you think about <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's you I'm would batty just give already, Josh. <laughs> well, I mean, what you would do before you nuke and pave one of those distros is just send all your bat to one of your favorite creators, and then nuke and pave. Uh, I mean, right. You you don't have to tie everything together. You can still do it without. But you know, tying everything together is a you little more convenient. You should be able
3: to send it to one of your other browsers too. Uh, I it's think it's you can do that.
1: Um, but I, uh, I I I think it's way more difficult, and you would have to tie it to an exchange to be able to do that. Um, uh, but you know, because okay, yeah. like I said, again, the the whole point is to not keep it for yourself. Though you can, it's to it's to pay people so that they don't have to show you ads.
3: Now I will say that I've been watching the price of BAT and it has steadily risen over the last except couple for this of months. past
1: week where Bitcoin lost ten thousand dollars in value. Well,
3: surprisingly, BAT still has been uh, it's been bouncing up and down, but not as bad as a lot of the other um alt currencies. And right. it has been mostly on the rise. Yeah. Um a couple of weeks ago it was at like what, fifteen, twenty cents. I think that's good. And overall now though. it's at thirty cents. So, oh, yeah, that's not too
1: bad. Okay, so it's a little more than 25 cents. Sweet.
3: Yeah, right. Last I checked, I don't have it brought up right now. It was at 30 cents and that was a bit of a rise for it. So nice.
1: Nice. That's very cool. So, I mean, one of the cool things is that, like, this is a way to get cryptocurrency without ever having to actually play the game. And then, I mean, I don't know, for some crazy reason, bat turns into a dollar or two dollars or five dollars or whatever. Hey, you get to ride that wave up. But also if bat crashes, hey, sorry about your bat. (laughs) I also think this is just
0: a really good use of cryptocurrency. Like it's it's not your normal like get rich quick scheme that you hear. Like this is like a, a practical use for it. that seems to be doing some good in the world.
1: Yeah, this is this is buy some guy a coffee that you appreciated his video or something like that. Right. And I mean, it, it is a it is a communal currency. And I think that's the way that uh, uh, that that's a good thing, at least. Yeah.
4: Leo, you said it's a bit tricky to get your, you know, you get the money out of it if you wanted to. So how do creators get the money out of it? They have an exchange.
1: Oh, what? Oh Right. So when you when you become a uh, brave creator, you get a wallet. And like, like you get a wallet that you that uh, a full functioning wallet where you can, uh, I mean, but it, it's basically the same as the browser. You have to send it to an exchange, change it to Bitcoin or change it to U.S. dollars or whatever you want to do with that bat. I mean, you play the real cryptocurrency game at that point. But you know, as as right. a user seeing the ads or whatever, I mean, you're dealing only in bat and you never have to touch an exchange or anything like that.
5: Huh, cool. Yep. I am not Batman.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it, it makes it makes it super easy. Uh, crypto is hard in general. I mean, you, you tell someone, hey, all you got to do is just go download a wallet and then your wallet address, and you got to add cryptocurrency, and you got to exchange, and you got to do this, and you got everybody's like, nope, I've got real <laughs> money that is way simpler to that than that. No thanks.
5: So you do is- understand that PayPal is now functioning with uh, Bit- Bitcoin.
1: Right. But again, I, I think, you know, PayPal is still has that layer of obfuscation where it's like, well, you got to have a PayPal account and then you got to connect up your uh, bank account. And then, you know, well, and then you ask the question, well, why can't I just use my bank account? Well, you can, but PayPal is not for that. And, you know, th- there's a whole conversation to be had and it's all about being easy. And this makes it super easy. And you don't even have to even consider it cryptocurrency or, you know, feel like one of the Wall Street bros to use this. It's just it's a simple way to pay folks a little bit of money uh, for things that you think they deserve. Anyhow, uh, last little bit is uh, Flatpak PPA. I threatened Tony I was going to do it. Uh, I did do it. Uh, I'm on Flatpak 1.10. Uh, the 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 last straw was I wanted to run the Chromium Flatpak. Turns out the Chromium Flatpak requires 1.8.5 or 6 or above. And uh, if you don't have that, it's just like, hey, sorry, you can't run Chromium. I'm like, but I want to run Chromium. So my only option was to use the Flatpak PPA on Linux Mint to get it updated to the point where I could install Chromium. Um, that is kind of weird, but uh, hey, you know, I'm on the latest version of Flatpak, so I get to uh, enjoy all the cool features we'll tell you about here in a minute. Anyway, uh, Joe, what about you? I had ordered some
3: new parts for that uh, Samsung Galaxy S3 Frontier watch so that um, I could fix some small issues with it, and only because I saw a really good price for a set of parts that that would do the job, and it also came with... Um, a. a bunch of different armbands which the $40 price tag it it was worth it to get the armbands and a different motherboard um it works well and the rest of the parts make for almost a whole watch considering you know the other um board that I had purchased and if I were to buy another battery, I, I would have basically another mostly functioning watch, um, except the step counter would be like 10% off. And yeah, that, that would be about it. Um, the, the new motherboard that I got is actually a cellular version, but because of the limitations of eSIM um, that is included on the board, I can't get it to work with T-Mobile. It's not a big deal for me because I wasn't going to use it as a phone anyway. It was just something cool to comp- contemplate. I also purchased some more neckband headphones to work on since I haven't done it in a while. Um, I, I I know I have 19 or so working headphones, but I found some on eBay that have um, noise canceling, and they're not the LG line. I liked working on them. I wanted to see if I could do something with a new set of headphones that I normally do with the LGs. So um, I got some Anchor Sound cores. I've worked on one of them so far. Um, they're supposed to have a lot better battery life than the LGs. And having taken one apart, it was extremely tedious. Um, it's glued together along a lot of the sections of it. And because of how it's shaped, you can't actually get to the tabs to pop the tabs off little retention tabs on the inside. Um, so you kind of have to break those tabs and the glue makes it difficult to take it apart without bending the plastic. Keeping the physical condition good is really hard to do. It takes a bit of patience. And normally with glue like that, you know, the, the thing to do is apply heat. But there there's rubber... Um, on one side and then the plastic on the other side and it would be really concerning to try and heat that up. I did have one that uh, had a bad battery but um, I decided to take that apart just to test how easy it is to take things apart instead of trying to replace the battery on it and I found that taking it apart that far is nearly impossible without breaking something Um, uh, it could be done maybe without breaking it, but um, I'm I'm not gonna be able to do that on a regular basis. Um, I did find that I could take it apart far enough that um, I could get past where the cable normally breaks and then I could splice in to there and um, make a working headset. All five headphones did get here. Uh, two, like I said, the, the, one anchor had a bad battery and I haven't worked on it yet, but there was a set of LG 1100s, the HBS 1100s in there that also has a bad battery. I'm going to see if some of the other batteries that I have will work in it. And I don't think I'm going to do the, the mod on it. Like I did with the anchors. I really like how the fix, I've only done it on one set of headphones so far and they're sitting right next to me right now. Um, I, I made the MMCX cable this time instead of just buying an MMCX cable. I also purchased some M- MMCX cables because um, the other ones that I have, the ones that I've been using for a long time, the cables gotten brittle and started falling apart. And some of them, one side's not working anymore. So I, I will be doing the replacement on those too. But the anchors, yeah, um, I I had some end pieces that I had purchased from Amazon, the male MMCX, and I put those on some nice audio cables and wired them in to the uh, spliced cables on the anchor. And and, uh, I have to say with the um, one more triple driver headphones attached to the MMCX cable, they sound really good, a lot better than they did stock. And I haven't fully tested the um, longer battery life yet. Uh, That'll come probably tomorrow. But from what I've seen so far, even with the partial battery, it lasted a really long time, and I'm quite happy with it. Um, I had some fun on the command line with the rename utility. I had some TV shows that were named in such a way that uh, Plex thought it was just like one episode and 26 different versions over like 10 seasons worth of show. So, um, I I used the rename utility to do a bulk rename of the files and it was super easy and it was a lot quicker than renaming them one at a time. Um, I honestly wouldn't mind doing a show on that and, and maybe a show on said as well. And I do have an example in the notes of uh, how Rename works. And it's just um, Rename S slash Old Name slash New Name slash G and then
5: the files.
3: I have been told my show idea was entirely too nerdy, and so we're not going to do that. Don't
5: listen to the critics, show. That is not uh, um, what anybody
3: said. It, yeah, th- that's exactly be, what Leo said. It needs that's to what be Leo its said. own no, show no. because of how Le- huge it is. Leo told me that it was entirely too in-depth and too nerdy and and that we couldn't do it. That's what he said. Yeah, you're right. was there. You're right.
1: And you listen to Leo? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody listens to me. Come on. We do
3: have to agree on a show topic before we, you know, take one up. Maybe, maybe I'll be able to convince people. Um, Surprisingly, um, I was able to pick up a refrigerator for free. Um, very, very nice refrigerator. It's probably the $1,500 or so refrigerator. My wife found it on, on Facebook marketplace. Um, granted it did cost me money to rent the truck and move it, but it was still a lot less than a new fridge would cost me. And I was planning on buying one this year from my wife, but, um, the people that had it were moving and needed it gone as soon as possible. It is probably the nicest side-by-side fridge that I have ever owned. I, I, I can't complain. It works awesome, and it looks awesome. The only thing is, is I was the only person moving the thing, and uh, I am uh, I feel really lucky that I didn't hurt myself doing it. The thing is really heavy. Uh, we did have a close call where it, like, flopped over onto its side while I was moving it on the dolly. Did get it inside. Uh, Getting it in the truck was fun. Getting it out of the truck was more fun. Trying to move it up my front lawn was exciting. Um, And
5: yeah, but...
3: Flagrant use of
5: sarcasm font there.
3: Yep, yep. It's all hooked up. Uh, It looks beautiful in my kitchen, and I can't complain about a free refrigerator, especially one that nice. Uh... Because of recent changes in my insurance, the copay for prescriptions has gone up a lot, like four times as much. Uh, To the point that I don't know how much money I'm going to be able to put towards projects this year. Um, All that means for me is that I will be forced to go through my backlog of old projects or almost projects and get it all up to date. Maybe I will have to switch a bit more towards software again. And it's been a while since I did programming, so that should actually be fun. My eldest child, who's still short, um, turned 18 this week. And that is, like, really, really weird for me. Um, A full-grown child. I have a child that that is no longer a child. Yeah. Um, On my VM download server, I was still having problems with transmission RSS. So I... Attempted to downgrade the Ruby version so that it would work properly again. Uh, I tried several different methods and nothing would really work. And it, it failed miserably, honestly. I, I found multiple different ways that were supposed to work on the internet um, on how to downgrade your Ruby version and just couldn't get anything to work. And then I realized that the reason I was using Transmission RSS initially was because that it was available in a Docker. So I shut down the transmission setup entirely and moved everything over to Qubit Torrent, which allowed me to reset up all my former automation so that the files automatically go where I want them. I do like the UI for Qubit Torrent, and it's very robust in how it lets you um, pick where files are moved after they're done downloading, and this worked Perfectly for the the cron jobs that I had previously set up to automatically move the files outside of their isolated area and into the different places where they needed to go for my Plex server. So I'm very happy with that that current setup. And that's really all I've been doing lately is, you know, messing around with Linux and well, you know, the usual lifting weights. Moss, what have you been up to?
5: Well, thanks for asking, Joe. Um Joshua Hawk sent me a laptop, a Dell Inspiron 7353, two-in-one with touchscreen. He had installed Fedora on it, which I soon destroyed. And no. I run a, car- <laughs> I run <laughs> I a tried, carousel Leo. of distros on it. To Pop! OS, Bodhi 5.1, back to Fedora, and back to Bodhi. I'm currently running Mint 20.1 on it. Uh, there are interesting touchpad issues. In Fedora, the touchpad right-click sends a left-click, but it works fine in Bodhi. But in Bodhi, it doesn't load the screen keyboard. But This is a great addition to my collection, and as it only has a 128 gigabyte SSD and a lot of screws keeping me from being brave enough to replace the SSD, this will be my machine to test distros for Distro Hopper's Digest in the foreseeable future. Speaking of DistroHopper's Digest, Episode 19 is out. Episodes 15 through 18 are also in the top 5 of our download numbers. For episode 19, we actually have Dale in the header and footer readings. We had a great time. I get the idea we could banter a bit more, but we're still getting our team feet underneath us. My sponsors account now has three monthly sponsors and has also taken in a nice donation. You can hear them named at the end of the current episode of Distro Hopper's Digest. Woohoo! My recording and workspace is in flux right now. There really was a short on the sound card and the mini, and contacting that is what blew the power supply a few months ago. It's not catastrophic, but not something that I want to have on a system I'm doing sound recording on. And I'll be moving that along to someone who needs it. Dale has sent me an AMD sound card. It hasn't been received yet, but it's on the way, which will replace the FX-1800 NVIDIA card and the Fuzz Z400, which will take over as my main machine. Right now I'm recording on my Kudu laptop, still the most powerful machine I have. Bo, you're pinking me out there. <laughs> School is in and out, depending on the week and the school. I worked four days in the last two weeks and got paid for a fifth when they scheduled me and forgot to cancel it because there wasn't school. There weren't any students that day. My other business is poised to take off, and we plan to sell a lot of common products and donate 80% of our profits to projects, providing housing funds and services to homeless people in America. I'll post the link when we're actually doing business. I'm sure some of you all will want to help out on that. My teeth are not working yet. I'm running without them for this show. I have an appointment next uh, next week for refitting. Um, they just, they cut into my cheeks. They don't fit right. The lowers, my tongue is in the way, or they're in the way of my tongue, actually. And I need to talk to them a lot about that. But I already have an appointment for this coming week. We're more than halfway through White Night, the ninth book in the Dresden Files series. I've also been reading Grail and Cosmos, Arthurian Explorations by Albie Stone. Portions of this book were previously published by my friend Bob Trubshaw of Heart of Albion Press. Everything Bob publishes is worth reading if you're interested in the roots of folklore, especially English folklore, and much of it is available as free downloads from his website. There is a link in the show notes. I saved this for last because I didn't think I'd get through the rest of it if I started with it. My mother has passed of COVID pneumonia which she caught in the rehab facility. She was 91. I miss her. When I come home after having something happen at work I want to talk to her about, I reach for the phone and remember I can't call. So on that sombre note, let me pass off to Tony Hughes.
4: Thanks, Moss. Our thoughts are with you. As Moss said, we recorded the latest Distro Hoppers uh, this week, which I published on Saturday 23rd after doing the edit. Uh, and that includes a new intro with Dale as part of the team. It was a great show, if I do say so myself, although we continue to strive to get better. Uh, Mint 20.1 is firmly established on my laptop, although I continue with 19.3 as my main driver on the i7 HP tower, which is my main production piece. Oh, come on, just just hit the upgrade button. Go, real
5: fast.
1: Do no, it right now. Do it. Do it, right it, <laughs> it, it
5: live on the show. And all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to back up first. Trust the process. <laughs>
4: <laughs> now I'll have to do a lot of tweaking. I have got. I, as I'm about to say, I have got access to a uh, twenty uh, mint twenty install on one of the drives in the icy dock. So I will upgrade to uh, twenty dot one uh, as my uh, main driver at some stage but as this as clem keeps telling us if it works maybe leave it alone that's true you still you still still have like three years
1: of support on 19
4: and the other thing is now with flat packs and snaps and app images if there's anything essential that i need the update for i can just go and grab it true very true and run it Run it in a
1: container on an old OS. And so hey, you, you can even the add in? the new Flatpak PPA so you can get 1.10 and enjoy the fast download speeds. Yeah, correct.
4: So, uh, yeah, I bought, uh, as far as modeling goes, I've bought some uh, storage racks with 32 boxes in them for putting spares and components for all the diecast models I restore. So I've been busy filling them up and labelling them this week. With the result, my workshop is a little tidier and I can actually find what I'm looking for. And we have mentioned COVID, uh, but on the home front, uh, the COVID situation here continues to get worse. And by the time you hear this, we'll have passed the uh, 100,000 deaths uh, with COVID here in the UK. It may mean we're going to go into stricter restrictions before this is all over. Uh, A couple of days ago, the Netherlands introduced a curfew from uh, 9pm to 4.30am to try and stop some of the abuses of the current regulations. and. We're continuing to hear stories of people gathering in large groups and illegal, illegal raves and illegal wedding parties and all sorts of stuff, which is not helping things. So, uh, we may see that happen here yet. But that's uh, that's me for this week. So I'm going to hand over to Josh. Thanks, Tony.
2: Um, well, Arch was still working, and now
1: it's not. Oh, what you did? You make me lie. <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh, no. Did it no. break during the show? What do you mean? Oh, no, oh, it, it didn't break, surprise, it
2: didn't break during Joe's the show. Fault. It was, I, I, don't, I don't know whose fault it was, really. <laughs> it was me or the
4: computer. <laughs> then so, it's Joe's fault.
2: Right, right. So I just blamed Joe. No, I tried to install Linux Mint as a dual boot with it. Now, I don't know if, if this was the reason why it broke or not. And the reason I say that is because I hit F12 to get into the boot menu, and Arch wasn't even there the first time I did it to actually get into Linux Mint to install it. So I don't know why that happened, but then I installed Linux Mint, and Arch popped up in Grub, so I'm like, oh, okay, it must still be there. So I selected it, no no boot, just a black screen, No, no nothing on the screen, it's just totally black. So I'm like, okay. I will boot into Mint, so I did that, and I looked through the hard drive, and everything's there. Nothing was changed. Um, I, I looked in the boot, you know, all the boot stuff was still there. As it was, nothing was changed. So I have no idea why it won't boot. I I, I installed Mint the default way where I said Let's install alongside Arch. I did that, so that's probably why it shows up in the grub menu for Linux Mint. but. Yeah, I don't I have no idea what happened. So, anyway, long story short, I wiped mint, installed openSUSE Tumbleweed. It's still there in the grub on that. Won't boot still. And that's all the further I've gotten. I haven't gotten a chance to f- look to fix it yet cuz I don't have an arch disk at the moment or a um, USB. When you
0: installed arch, did you did you go through the process of setting up the EFI Yes, boot process.
2: Okay, I specifically did that because I only use EFI on everything.
0: Okay, I'm just I'm trying to think. uh, Right, just the first thing I thought. That's the Uh.
2: that's the first thing I checked was to see if the EFI was still there and everything, and it was all everything's there as it was supposed to be.
4: Could Grub have broken? I'm thinking maybe
2: that's the only thing that it could be at this point because the install is there. I'm sure if I went into my um my Arch uh, USB and I reinstalled Grub with that, I bet you it would work. But um I'm but not possibly sure. Possibly without mint. Right. Probably without mint, probably. Unless I unless I installed what is that, OS prober or something like that. And then it'll search uh, for the other OSs. Well, there's also Refind. You could just check I, could that that. I could try that. I could try that. I didn't even think about that. But um yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do with it yet. Um Well but, what uh, is
1: what is Arch without some
2: adversity, right? Exactly. This is all learning experience. <laughs> There is some
0: truth to that. I mean, I don't feel like you install Arch because you're not the type of person that likes solving these types of problems.
2: (laughs) Right, exactly. I I knew something was going to happen eventually. I just knew it because I've been installing, like, from the AUR, I've been doing all the stuff you're not supposed to do to try to break this thing and oh, uh, AUR the crap out of my desktop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't check anything, I just
0: let it install. Yep, and I and I have
2: it for automatic updates on the AUR and everything. So, yeah. I was just waiting for it to break, but I know this isn't that because I it was working perfectly fine the last time I used it. I didn't do any updates or anything. I actually checked for updates and there was none surprisingly. But um and I shut it off and then I turned it back on, installed Mint and well, actually before I even installed Mint like I said, I pressed F12. And it, it wasn't there. It wasn't even in the boot menu when I pressed F12. So I, I have no idea what that was about. So I, I, I truthfully don't know if Mint actually is what broke it. Mm. But anyway. You know <sighs> in your heart that Mint didn't break it. I know for sure Mint didn't break it. <laughs> Mint doesn't break anything. Would've, would've Mint, Mint only fixes everything.
1: Hey, man, that's very true. (laughs) uh,
2: No, that is really true because I've used Mint to fix a lot of different problems I've had. Either it be the USB or just installing it. But, uh, yeah, I know OpenSUSE is like the worst for support with, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to get flack for this, but it's the worst for support with other OSs as far as I've seen. I've tried it uh, many times and it's been an issue. But, uh, yeah, it was there, though, so I don't know. But, anyway, I will try fixing that later on when I get time. I've been playing a lot of games other than that before school starts, because I feel like I need to get that in because once school starts, I will not have time. Finally, after seven years of playing this game, I beat Dragon Age Inquisition. And yeah, it's a a long time. I just I stopped playing it for a while and then I started and I stopped. And now I finally said, you know, I'm going to beat this game because I'm getting too many things in my feed that are going to ruin the ending for me. (laughs) So I finally beat that. And then I was playing also Kingdom Come Deliverance. I'm not gonna get into all of it because this is not a gaming podcast, but I figured I might as well mention it because I was doing it. No, it was not on Linux, unfortunately. I, I You're cannot, You're done. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I might as well be. I might as well be. <laughs> uh but I know Kingdom Come Deliverance will not play on Linux as well as it can. I haven't tried what um Hoosie said was to change the kernel out for another kernel. I forget exactly which one it was. The TKG one, maybe? No, no, it was a different it was a different name.
4: Oh, okay, okay.
2: But anyway, he said he used it, and he's been getting at Windows Performance or better. So I want to wow. try that, definitely, because if I can do that, then I can ditch Windows for sure. Yeah. Might have been well, the Zen kernel. No, that no, it's be... not the Zen kernel either, because I, I looked it up, and it was not related to the zen kernel it was some other i don't know i like i can't remember i wish i would remember but i'll have to ask him
1: hey uh so quick question um your classes start in february no
2: so okay this year they're starting late because of covid oh got it okay that's i was gonna was. say like, i've been tomorrow. teaching since
1: the 11th what
2: yeah no they start tomorrow <laughs> that's the, the reason why it was COVID. even though we're online which doesn't make sense we start, we're starting tomorrow.
5: I, I don't okay. know, whatever. Okay. We still have some schools that aren't open in my county. No, no some schools of, the, are some open of them opened two weeks ago. Uh, some open this week. And I think uh, Bean Station will open next week. Yeah, no, Nothing. open 2022
1: will be better, guys. Let's just look forward to that.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's face it. We all knew
2: 2021 wasn't going to be totally better yet.
5: <laughs> when you wake up, you don't have to wonder what the president tweeted overnight. <laughs>
2: So my class this semester, I'm only taking one because this online thing is hard. It's a networking class, and I'm hoping I can remember what I learned in my first networking class because this is technically a 200-level course, and I already took the 100-level course. So I'm hoping I can remember everything. I'm sure it'll come back to me. YouTube is my friend. I've learned
1: that. (laughs) Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Linux innards becomes a deep dive into networking topics, and Ooh. we can all we can all just uh, banter about all that. I'll just yeah.
2: I'll just read the chapter title, not read the chapter, and tell you what it was about. Oh yeah, or that's what the chapter title was, and then we'll just go off of that, and I won't need to. We'll read. do it. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm totally
1: down. What do you want to do? IPv6 subnetting or something like that?
2: Please don't.
4: Please don't. <laughs> but, no, I uh,
2: don't six. think. I don't think we're getting that deep. Oh man. Well, I, yeah, I, no. In my IT
0: history, in my IT learning history, networking was the thing that, like, I didn't realize how much about it I didn't know. Like, that was my Jimmy kruger moment was that.
2: Yeah. That's how I felt, too, when I took the first class. I was like, holy crap. I I thought it was just connecting to the Internet with Wi-Fi. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: I really felt like I had a grasp on it, and then... I started getting around people that like yeah. really understood like really deep networking concepts and I was just like this is wizardry like I have no clue yeah. like <laughs> like the guy who teaches this
1: class Sorry what No I was just going to say when they shrug at you and say I don't know what is your routing table saying you're like uh
2: <laughs> <laughs> No but the guy who teaches this class he um he makes us learn I he, I don't think he's doing it in this class I've I've looked but in before he's made us learn binary not Fully, but like a little bit of it just to Ugh. understand what it is, you know? Like, that's I feel how... like, I feel like when you
1: get into <laughs> subnetting, man, it's such a waste of time to do binary conversions. It's, there's yeah. no point. There's no point not, to not doing anymore. that. You just need to figure out how big the subnet is and just move on yep. and move on.
5: So, yeah. Are we going back to the Kobayashi Maru here?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. It
5: is. Yeah. Uh,
2: no. So, anyway, yeah. So that's starting tomorrow. Yay. Technically, I could start today, but I, I'm i just going to do it tomorrow. Yeah, so I got a new mouse. I did have a Red Dragon M901, which was great. I had that for over five years. I, I'm not exactly sure how long. It could have been eight years, but I wasn't sure. I have to look when I bought it. But um, I love that thing. That thing was awesome. Um, but then the left mouse button started going wonky on me. It wouldn't click right, and sometimes it wouldn't hold. Like if I was dragging a... a a Window around it would leave the window go halfway through, and so I decided it's probably time for a new mouse 20 minutes with a soldering iron. Yeah, probably, but eh. <laughs> I needed a new mouse at that point. I didn't have time to fix it, and I don't really know how to solder that well. If I did, I probably would get into it. It's still here, so I'm not going to get well, rid of it.
3: Now that you have a new mouse, what's it hurt to go and exactly. try and fix the other one? That sounds but like a you plan, you will have to. Purchase a switch and just replace yeah. that left switch.
2: Yeah, yeah, probably. To replace uh, that mouse, I got another Red Dragon mouse. It's the M nine thirteen. It was a wireless mouse, and I liked the way it felt. But literally two days after I got it, the left button started sticking, and it was like you couldn't even tell when you pressed the the mouse button. It would click, but it wouldn't. You couldn't feel the click. It would just. It just felt like mush. So I was like, you know, if it's already starting to do this, I'm I'm not going to keep this mouse. So I, I returned that one, and then I was looking around did a lot of research, and I finally ended up getting the Corsair Scimitar Elite. It has 12 side buttons like the rest of them do, but these 12 side buttons are actually adjustable. The whole panel that the 12 buttons are on can go back and forth. So you can, for different hand sizes, you can adjust it which is really nice for me because apparently my hand is huge because everyone said that this mouse is like for people with big hands and my hand goes way over the mouse like I'm like I can fit the whole mouse in my hand so I guess I have large hands I don't know. You know what they say about <laughs> guys with large I was hands? I'm waiting. I was they waiting can for fit that. the whole mouse in their hand. That's totally what they say. <laughs> I was waiting. Uh, But anyway, um, so this is the first mouse that I've had that can actually do macros, which is really nice. Like, I never knew how great having macros are until I actually had a mouse that can do it. And um, I haven't set them all up yet, but I have a couple for my games, and wow, has it changed my gaming experience. It's great. Um, it's, It's just easy enough to just hit one button, and then it does three different mouse click or keyboard clicks or whatever you would do. And you're done and you can do your spell or whatever you're doing in the game. And I mean if you even if you're a video editor or an audio editor, you can do um macros for that even. Uh unfortunately, there's no way to set the macros in Linux. As far as I've found yet, yeah, I, I did look a little bit and there's ways to set the RGB and stuff like that, but no way to set the macros on it. So there are Build your own. What was that? Build your own. Build my own, yeah. That's what shortcuts are for. You're going to make me a, a builder yet. <laughs> Repair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, there are three profiles on the mouse that you can save your macros to, and then you can switch with two buttons on the mouse back and forth between those profiles. So you can use it on any OS at that point. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's basically all it really needs to be able to work on Linux. And, um, yeah, so... If anyone's looking for a good mouse with side buttons for MMO gaming or or macros or anything like that, uh this this is definitely a, a good mouse for that. Okay, so that's about it. So, how about you, Bo? What you been up to?
0: Oh man, well, the big thing in my house this week has been uh is has been COVID. Uh, I heard it affected everybody. Everybody else's stories this week somehow was affected by COVID, but um before we move on from your your mouse um, one, I have to, I always have to have the buttons on the side of the mouse, like uh the MMO style, because that's basically all I play is MMOs. I couldn't even imagine yep. trying to play an MMO without that type of mouse.
2: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: But <laughs> another, like I kind of have a, a little bit of a funny story. A long time ago, like, uh, I was, it was like when I built my first PC, I was playing Counter-Strike, uh, uh, it might've been Source, but it might've been the one before that even, um... And I had a mouse that had a macro system and, and I'd never used it before. I opened the, the macro recorder up and was like playing around with it. And I was like, Oh, I can't figure out how this works. I'm just going uh, to needs- ban. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. The VAC ban. And I'm like, I'm like, ah, screw it. I'm just not gonna, I'm just not going to try this out. I'm not going to do the macro thing. And so I just, I just ignored it. And I never used that feature. Well, I'm playing counter-strike and Uh, You know, I'm, I'm like, you know, probably smoking mid or whatever you do in counter-strike. And then um, all of a sudden the menu opens up and just exits the game. And I was like, what the, what the hell? Like I, what the, I didn't do that. Like, well, how did that happen? And then I, I, you know, then later on I was, I was playing the game again and I was doing something and the menu opens up and just exits the game. And I was like checking my antivirus. I'm like trying to figure out what the heck happened. Like, (laughs) My my computer must be like hacked or somebody somebody's got control of my PC. Like if someone's remoted into my machine, what could be happening? And like I'm doing other things, like I have my web browser open and then, you know, menus start opening and things pop up and and finally I figured out that when I had opened that macro menu, I started recording and and then decided not to do it and then just started, you know, doing things. <laughs> and I made a macro on <laughs> on
2: my mouse that was just like opening random menus and clicking <laughs> and clicking buttons i guess that's why when i got this one that they didn't set anything up like there literally you can press any button and it wouldn't do anything so that i guess yeah. that's why <laughs> you know you're a true
1: hacker when you hack yourself
2: yeah
0: <laughs> i hacked myself yeah oh man uh but no i i haven't been doing much of anything the last two weeks uh i just uh My wife and I just got over COVID, uh, being COVID positive. Um, I wanted to talk about it a little bit on the podcast. Just, uh, I don't know if it's sort of an awareness thing, but like, um, I wanted to say, like, I understand how people, you know, especially in the beginning before we really knew all the details and we still don't know all the details about COVID, but um, I could definitely see how like you could have it and not realize you had it because if this wasn't going on in the world right now, I wouldn't have known to get a COVID test because my symptoms were so mild. And so I could I could definitely see how there could be people out there even now that don't realize um, that they're positive. So I think it's important to get tested for sure, you know, for that reason. Always a good idea. So my wife got it first. The odd thing is, is we got tested twice in one week because of it was a job requirement. It had nothing to do with symptoms or anything like that. And it was negative for both me and my wife. Um, both both tests for me were negative. I, I, we had to get them twice and, and both times they were negative. And then um when my wife got her second test, it was positive. But we'd not been anywhere. We, I asked my wife if she'd been anywhere. We'd we'd not really been anywhere since the first test. So we were like, Well, how the heck how the heck are we were just sitting at home? How did we how did we get it? But then when you really start thinking about the places like you say you've not been anywhere, but then when you really start tracing your steps, you're like, Well, I did have to go to Walmart and go in and, and get like a can of of something. And then, and then, but all I did was go in and grab that and leave, you know, I didn't touch anything or, or, you know, interact with anybody else. And then even when my wife's telling me this story, I'm thinking, but you came home with more than just that can, you had to go to other places in the store. So it's like, you know, there's, it's really hard to kind of trace what happened. And I think that, uh,
1: she did the whole grocery store shuffle, right? Where you go around the edges and then yeah. hit the, hit the aisles in between and kind of, <laughs> yeah, the way everything's at Walmart where it's like, you,
0: you, everything's like you go into, to get enough stuff to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you end up in four different places in the store to get all the pieces to what you need. It's like, it's like a game of resident evil trying to put together one dish in, in, in a Walmart grocery section. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, we don't know exactly what happened, but whenever she tested positive, even that time I was negative, and I didn't have any symptoms yet, but we knew inevitably, you know, if she's got it, if this is really as contagious as they say it is, there's no way I'm going to go without getting it. So, um, you know, I, I had already started working home from work and, and that sort of thing, and um, and then I started getting, like, a sort of a scratchiness in the back of my throat, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't alarming. Like, it wasn't like... It wasn't like, oh, God, something's wrong. It was just sort of like a sinus kind of thing. Like I just felt like I had drainage maybe. I slept with my mouth open because my nose was stopped up. It was that sort of scratchy throat. And then the next day I was talking to my dad on the phone telling him about it. And I, and while I was speaking to him, he pointed out that, like, I couldn't complete a sentence without clearing my throat. Like I was constantly clearing my throat. And so that's when I started thinking, like, yeah, maybe maybe this is it. Maybe this is Maybe this is what it feels like. And, um, and so I went and got another test and sure enough, I was positive. Um, and, uh, I would say the worst of the symptoms, like, you know, I've heard people talk about achiness and, um, fevers. I I never ran a fever. My wife ran a slight fever one night. I never ran a fever. The worst symptom was probably, you know, how your skin kind of feels sensitive whenever you have the flu. Um, I kind of had that occasionally it would kind of it would kind of spur up. Like there would be moments where I'd feel like, Ooh, my my skin feels sensitive and and kind of chilly. Um, but it wasn't as bad as the flu. Like whenever I have, I've had the flu in the past and those symptoms were much stronger and much worse. So, um, yeah, I just, I just say all that to say, like, you know, be careful because there's, there's people, there was, there was some other family members on, on my wife's side of the family that got it a lot worse that actually had to be hospitalized. And, um, so you, you don't really know how it's going to react to you, but even if you're somebody that you know, you feel like you might have like very mild symptoms, take it seriously. Like try to look into it, find out if you got it. It was I know it's different depending on where you live in the country, but here where I am, it was really easy to get a test. I basically just I, I basically just called a doctor's office and they they sent me a referral, and within the same day, I was able to go get a test. I've I've heard I've heard nightmares of people having to wait you know long periods of time to finally get a test. Um, I think my my father in law had to wait like three or four days um but yeah i don't know
5: it was yeah the the county i live in you have to make an appointment to get it and it's not instant and it's like they don't really want you to get the appointment um i don't know yeah. i i taught i taught third graders twice in the last 2 weeks and you would oh. think that's exposure but um apparently the the back the vaccine schedule for Tennessee is on a county by county basis and it's not going to be till february or march that i will be eligible as a school teacher to
0: yeah. get the vaccine yeah my wife my wife's in that boat too she's a school teacher and she's not getting it till um till till late then too yeah anyway i i didn't I, luckily i didn't have bad symptoms it was it was it wasn't it wasn't bad at all i had to work from home that was harder than dealing with the symptoms um i did have like a little bit of a breathing thing so like um last night i streamed a uh i streamed a card game with a friend of mine and I listened back to it this morning and I could tell that I was breathing heavier, like it sounded different. Um, and so I think I still may be kind of breathing differently than I realized. Uh, I, I don't know. On paper, it sounds like flu symptoms, but I can just tell you having experienced both, it didn't feel like flu symptoms. Like it, I understand why people are saying it's flu-like symptoms because when you see it on paper, that's what it is, but it, it didn't feel the same. So I'm just saying, you know, if you feel, if you feel different, go get it checked out. Good advice. Yeah, but moving on from that, uh, I have some projects coming up that I want to do uh, to talk about on the show. They're both Raspberry Pi related. I'll give you guys a little brief tour of them right now, and then uh, then we'll move on to the news. But um, uh, ho- hopefully, they go well, and then and then I can talk about them in detail on the next episode. But um, first off, I want to do a Raspberry Pi webcam. Um, I have been trying to stream more on YouTube lately. Uh, doing some of the, the tabletop RPG games that I've been doing on my YouTube channel. And uh, now I want to do some card games and just different things. And, um, I really, I, I have a DSLR and I, I have a mount for it and I have it so I can hook it up and use it as a webcam, but it just, I can never get it to work quite right with the, with like OBS. And, and if I connect it to OBS, then I have this thing where I have to, um, I have to either flip the camera or I can't hide all the like little reticles in the camera. I have to like record at the same time in order to get those to go away. And so it's so it's a real annoyance to try to use a DSLR. And I have a a C9 uh 910 um because I got it before the 920 and it's great, but it doesn't have um it it doesn't have like a like a depth perception. Like it just like whatever's there it just it catches it and it doesn't there's no depth of field. And so um, I've been looking at this Raspberry Pi webcam project in the show notes. I have a link to a YouTube video and I've got a link to all the, uh, the parts that he uses in this video as well as his get his GitHub project. Um, but this is uh, his getting His GitHub name is Gearling guy um, and his YouTube channel. Let me check his YouTube channel real quick. Um, his name. Oh, Jeff Gearling. Um, I've watched his channel a lot because he also does a lot of Ansible videos and they're really instructional. Um, I've I've gotten a lot of good out out of those. Um, But in this video, he basically walks you through building a Raspberry Pi webcam using the Raspberry Pi Zero. Although I've also seen other YouTubers that have done the Raspberry Pi 4 with the same process, and I may go the 4 route. I want to do some research to see what the performance, if there's a performance difference at all, maybe there's none. Um, but, uh, and you can actually hook up a mount to the Raspberry Pi that mounts a small lens, like an adjustable lens so that you can actually adjust it and, and get a depth of field, um, feel the way you would with a DSLR, but with a more plug and play style webcam.
3: I think we're going to have to do, uh, another Pi show. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Sounds good to me. Actually. Get into depth on this. Well, I see your and, next, uh, I- your next, uh, quick little topic there. And, uh, yeah, I, I want to do that to you. Yeah. So, my next, my,
0: my next topic, and this one, I actually had some parts come in for this today, right before we started the show. I, I got an Amazon delivery, but, um, I want to make a Steam Link Raspberry Pi 4. So, uh, my situation with that is my son likes watching me play games, um, but I only play games on the PC and he can't, you know, he can't figure out using the keyboard. It's just, it's just, you know, he's only two and a half. Um, so I ordered some USB controllers and I was thinking I should build something where we can actually play my Steam games on our television. And so I'm going to build a Steam Link Raspberry Pi for, uh, you know, for the TV in our playroom. But, you know, I didn't realize this until until right now as I'm speaking. But if we do that, if he's in that room playing games with my wife... I can't be in this room using my PC. So I don't know. I still got to think about
1: this. <laughs> Maybe I'll do an <laughs> emulator instead. You, I don't know. <laughs> you just need to build a whole nother PC that you just just, just got to get in now. Steam. Just, <laughs> just, no, just,
0: for just for the for Steam. no just for him. Link. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so I got two Raspberry Pi projects coming up. Um I'm coming out of this uh coming out of this COVID hiatus. Um like really kicking in the doors on Raspberry Pi projects. When we've done them in the past, I've never been able to think of anything I wanted to do with one. I've always loved Raspberry Pis. I've owned two, and I've given them both away because I could never come up with something, like, really useful. Even though I see stuff all the time, it's never anything that really interests me. But this webcam thing, like, really sparked my, like, really piqued my interest um, as something that I could use. And then, um, you know, my son, only being two years old, most of the time, whenever I saw these Raspberry Pi projects for making game emulators and Steam boxes and things like that, I really had no use for it. But now that he's getting old enough to uh, to try some of this out, I have a little more excuse to, to do some of those gaming projects. Nice.
3: For him, you should probably, you know, let him experience some older games and set up a MAME. Yeah. You already have the USB controllers.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think I will. I think I'll probably... I mean, it's a Raspberry Pi 4. As, which is way overkill compared to those original Raspberry Pi memes that they they had. Well, so,
3: well,
1: well uh, this, this is how I do my daughter. Remember, um, I have uh, there's a I have Batisera running, and uh, she's really into Sunset Riders and uh, on on Super and what is it uh, Ninja Turtles Turtles in Time I think. Oh my god, she, I love she,
0: Turtles in Time. Even oh my stepbrother destroyed that game. Yes,
1: she she <laughs> loves those two. Anytime we ever we ever play that, it's it's those. Maybe this other weird game where you're like this dude throwing hammers and jumping over rocks. I can't remember what the name of that game is. <laughs> Adventure Island or something, maybe, yeah, yeah,
3: well, you gotta remember that with like um the Raspberry Pi three and the Raspberry Pi four, yeah, um it, there's been a lot more time to make. Optimizations for the Raspberry Pi 3 than there has been for the 4. That's true. And not only that, but all the optimizations that worked on the two and the one work on the three, but they don't work on the four. So when it comes to emulation like that, it's ninety percent of it on um, it being good is the optimizations and and people making things work the way that they're supposed to. So a raspberry pi 3 might do something like n64 a little bit better until the optimizations are there for the raspberry pi 4
0: that's a really good point because it's not it's not a technological limitation to playing these old games it's it's uh you're right it's the um the adjustment the tweaking that they've done in the way it runs to make it feel more natural that's a really good point
2: Um, But, yeah, that's all I got um, as far as what I've been doing and what I plan to do. Mm -hmm. Before you leave, um, how do you plan on doing the Steam link? Do you you think you want to do an install of Raspbian and then install Steam and do it that way? Or is there a way to get, like, the Steam OS actually on the Raspberry Pi 4? Because I've done it before on my Raspberry Pi 3B um, Mm -hmm. with uh, I just installed Raspbian and then I installed Steam on it.
0: Uh, Right. That's actually my plan is the Raspbian and then Steam. Um, and I have a I have a link to a video um, also in the show notes of somebody following that process. Um, but y- you can do either. Um, it is possible to do this just a Steam OS. Um, but I think I'm going to do Raspbian and then uh, install the, the, there's a Steam Link application that actually has like a more right.
1: like TV
2: friendly UI. So I think yeah. that's what I'm going
1: to do. Yeah, that's what I did. I was just wondering uh, what we were planning on. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it then. Uh, so then we'll head down to the news. In the news, I'm out. I'm going to immediately hand it over to Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the
4: reason I put this one in is because it's part of my New Year predictions that the Raspberry Pi uh, Foundation might release a new book. It's already winning. And they have. Already. <laughs> the Raspberry Pi Pico's been launched. It's not a full computer. It's not a single-word computer. It's a little microcontroller costing four bucks. But it's a new Raspberry Pi board. So they're they're encroaching
1: on um, Arduino space.
4: They are. And yeah, it's quite cool. I think the main uh, call for this is going to be embedded stuff, uh, where you need something lightweight, and you you maybe only need a couple of connections to the uh, input output, and weight is a real issue. I think this will will play uh, good, but uh, it's a lot smaller than the uh, obviously the raspberry the main Raspberry Pi. I'm not sure how much smaller it is than the Pi Zero, but it is quite a bit.
3: Go on. It looks like the Teensy 2.0, and I wonder if you could just use that as a a USB controller for, like, building your own keyboards and stuff. I I assume you can, since you said it's um, similar to, uh,
4: what was it, the Arduino. Arduino. Yeah, Yeah. well, it's got IC2 on it. Um, So, yeah, I would imagine you could. Yeah. But uh, if you go if you go to the link in the uh, show notes, there's a link to Hackspace Magazine, um, and they did a full write up on it this month, um, and you can download the PDF of that for free. Uh, it's a Raspberry Pi publication, and uh, as with the Magpie Magazine, it's released under Creative Commons, so you can download a f- uh, free PDF of the magazine. Uh,
3: check that out i have to wonder if it has the same pinout as the teensy because that that would be awesome because then you could just all
4: the pinout stuff is in the hackspace magazine if you if you check that out cool
3: because then it would be really easy to set it up as a usb controller Mm. and i'm Uh, looking for fact, i've got the
4: magazine on my desktop i I think it's uh, at the end of the magazine. There's, low, there's uh, a full uh, schematics of all the pins and everything. Yeah, um, yeah. If you if you go to second to last page, there's a full schematic in the Hackspace magazine with all the pinouts and everything.
3: Yeah, I'm actually looking for something to use as a USB controller for the um, arcade machine that I'm building.
4: As well as as well as uh, the foundation releasing the Rome version of the board. Uh, they've also licensed the um, the uh, chip to other other people to use, so they're actually selling the Raspberry Pi chip that's on the on the uh, microcontroller to other manufacturers, so that they can produce their own stuff. And I know Pi Moroni and the uh, Pi Hut are producing a couple of things, so check them out as well.
1: Nice, and uh, I don't know who put this in here, but this is really interesting. Android Ten. To RISC-V architecture. <gasps> this is cool. So real actual ARM-based portable something or another Android this or that Play Store,
5: right? What? That was actually from Eric the Unready, so you should know uh-huh. where that came from.
1: No, I don't. I don't. Uh-uh. <laughs> so,
5: this is cool, though. I'm. Um, um,
1: um, uh, if, if you take a look at the link, you can see that there is a screen sitting on top of a board, and... I mean they're they're going through and showing you clicking all the uh different Android stuff and just showing you the fact that well, yeah, it works. The um the the thing that they're using is a dual core T head Zhuan Tai T A whatever C910 at one point two gigahertz. So uh, a dual core chip and it looks like it's running Android fairly decently, but uh then again I guess I don't really know uh they're not running any apps on it or anything like that, just showing you that it does indeed boot uh running kernel 5.4.57, you know, just interesting stuff. And Wi-Fi seems to work. So this is really interesting. Uh this is more hardware enablement for Android in general. So just interesting stuff. Well speaking of enablement, uh yeah, here you go, naysayers. For everybody that was shaking their head when I brought up the topic the first time, uh the Apple M1 running on uh or, or Ubuntu or any Linux really running on and M1 Mac, they said it couldn't be done. Those that said it could be done said that it wouldn't be done until 2022 or 2023 or sometime in the future. By the time the M2 came out, the M3, M4. Nope. How about today? It works
4: today. So uh, so you can
1: have Ubuntu with 20 hours battery no, life. No, not that battery life. There's no, <laughs> there are no optimizations <laughs> for that battery just yet. But here's the thing. Ubuntu actually boots on the M1 Max. so now at this point, it's just refinement. So, it's working toward getting that 20, uh, I don't think we'll ever get that uh, that much battery life. But, here's the thing though, you're still going to get better battery life than the most expensive XPS you can put your hands on. That, I think, is impressive. Very impressive. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you click on the link that we've got in the show notes, you can see that... Um, let me see the gentleman that got it done, who is um one of the leaders of wait for it. Uh Corellium. Corellium. Uh they're they're working on the same thing that uh, Asahi Linux is working on. And yeah, they've got Groovy Gorilla running on the Mac M1, just the uh just the the desktop set top box one, uh not the laptop just yet. But that's coming. And that's not it. Their uh, Asahi Linux's new target, or at least one of their main targets right now, is reverse engineering the GPU. So currently, um, Ubuntu running on the M1 Mac is using software rendering only, so they haven't figured out exactly how to use the GPU just yet. But Alyssa Rosenzweig, uh, I think I pronounced that correctly, who's done a lot of GPU work for the Panfrost driver, which runs the Mali and Bifrost GPUs in a lot of the ARM-based devices, is now turning her attention to the GPU. So I figure if you do it once, you can do it again as uh, Hector Martin proved. If you can reverse engineer one device, you can reverse engineer another. And yeah, so we're, we're seeing a lot of progress in that realm. And that's exciting. So... I did look into the pricing of all of this, right? Because everybody's like, oh, well, Mac is so expensive. You don't want to ever do any of the blah, 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 right? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for an equivalent XPS, they're about $50 different. You're looking at 16 gigs of RAM, 512 megs, uh, or 512 gigs of uh, SSD storage in uh on a Mac, and then looking at the equivalent uh, XPS. Turns out the XPS is actually more expensive. That was mind-blowing to me. We're talking about the MacBook Pro. Uh that is mind blowing it's mind blowing that uh the price difference is so close it's so close uh, i couldn't believe it but anyway uh as far as that gpu goes uh they have made it they have made the m1 gpu draw a triangle on the screen now you might be thinking to yourself, uh, as a triangle man, uh, that's not that's not a title bar. That's not audacity or anything else, right? But being able to draw something as simple as a triangle shows a proof of concept and the fact that you can move forward. You've got the basics figured out, and now again, as we said before about the about everything else, it's just refinement at this point, and that may be where most of the work is going to going to come. But the fact is, it's working. Way before anybody, I don't know, maybe except me, right? Yeah. Uh, said that it was going to be working. So I'm really happy about this. This is this is, this is exciting stuff. It is making me consider uh, buying a Mac. I, I, mm, I, I don't think so, but I might. I might just do it. It's uh, it's really enticing. And then if you run Mac OS, whatever, you get like twenty hours battery life. Okay, you know that whole thing. Anyway, uh, let the hate mail flow. That'd be fine. So good news Edge, there. Now a Mac. Leo, hey, listen. look, look, look! <laughs> vertical tabs, man. Turns out I I hate vertical tabs. I can't stand them. Uh, so that that feature is not uh, is not enticing to me. Feel like but, I uh, Leo you anymore.
5: I know you. You didn't mention it was done with all original open source code and signifies a big step forward.
1: Yeah, well, I said the big step forward, open but source. I didn't. I didn't say yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's original <laughs> open source code. So there is value in, in Apple hardware on the Linux side because it's original open source code. And, I mean, just throw a bunch of money there away, man. Make it make it easier for them to do this work and, and make this come faster. That would be fantastic. Anyway, next up, Flatpak, which I told you I uh, YOLO installed uh, the other day. <laughs> uh, so Flatpak 1.10.0 is released. This is really cool. Um, I really, the the other reason, one one reason is I wanted to run Chromium. I just wanted to see how well it would work. And uh, it works. So it works just fine. Um, but the other thing I wanted to see was downloading the apps list will become much faster. That's one of the features of 1.10. Well, it was one of the features of like 1.9.3, but uh, odd numbering schemes are the betas. So 1.10 is uh, the official release where we actually get to see... Um, how FlatHub is going to scale. That was one of the biggest problems with FlatHub. As it grew, everybody doing a FlatHub or a a Flatpak update would have to download the whole new manifest, which is basically everything that exists in FlatHub. You'd have to download that first, and then you would be able to get the stuff that you needed, which incrementally gets longer and longer and longer and longer. So one of the cool changes in 1.10 is that you now only download your own architecture. Before, it was like uh, you had to download the ARM architecture, you had to download the x86 architecture, you had to, you had to, you had to, you had to. And now, if you're on a 64-bit machine, you only have to download the x86, you know, 64-bit architecture for, for, you know, your platform. That's all you have to download now. And that went from, in some early testing, 1.8 megs, which for people that are on slower connections... Ain't instant, down to 554 kilobytes, and that is a almost two thirds improvement over previous versions. So I think that's that's a really good thing that makes Flatpak even more impressive. Uh, I, I really do just think function wise, um, it, it's got fewer paper cuts than Snap does right now. I know I know Snap's working on it. Uh, that the whole team is working on it, but it just seems that. Flatpak has been ready for prime time with less paper cuts for longer than Snap has been, and it really just seems to me that Flatpak is, is the way to go. But, um, you know, if you don't care, well, then you don't care. But, uh, yeah, I, I think AppImage could could use with some polishing as well. Uh, just make AppImage like, uh, uh, yeah, to make a call back to the Apple thing, just make AppImage behave like DMG files. Just drag them into the apps folder, have that little pop-up, and just drag and drop and be done. That would be uh i think that would be a huge boon for app image and before you say it, I know app image d does that, but distributions have to sign on and and distribute that Because uh, right now it's not in any of the ubuntu repositories that I know of it may be in um uh rolling rhinos repositories or whatever's coming out for uh what is it hirsute hippo is that the next one something like that it it may be in that repo but That's it ain't it. in it ain't in any of the uh long term repos just yet so yeah, hopefully that changes app image d gets uh gets shuffled around that'd be great. Anyway, speaking of Ubuntu, they're doing something that I think should have been done a long time ago, and that is making home folders private. Speaking of Hursuit hippo, uh yeah, home folders are going to be private now. If you did not know before and uh you did not listen to our episode on permissions, Uh, then this might just go right over your head, but uh, I'll explain. So, home folders are currently not private in any version of Ubuntu, and that means that if you have an account and your girlfriend or wife or friend or whoever has another account on your machine, you end up in the situation where... If you wanted security, you don't get it by default. You have to go and manually make those changes. So your home folder has permissions 755 by default, which means that you get read-write in that directory. You, uh, Your group gets read in that directory, but it doesn't directly impact you unless you add people to your group, uh, which you know is the same name as your username. So my username would be Leo. My group name would also be Leo. If I added someone to the Leo group, they would then be able to read via the group permissions, but that didn't really matter because the other category, the 755, that second five, also means that everybody else on the entire system also has read access to your home folder. Does that make sense, right? Because like now everybody can see the stuff in your home folder. So uh, that, that's an issue if security is your priority. If you're on a server with multiple users, uh, then, I mean, this becomes kind of an issue. So 2104 and beyond will now have home folders set to 750, meaning only you and your group have any access to your own home folder, which is your user has full read-write access, your group has read access, everybody else has nothing. So anybody else on that machine can no longer poke into your home folder. You can force this right now in your own machines by changing the permissions to 750, but it'll happen eventually in 2104, but it will not be a, uh, a change that affects you if you're upgrading. If you want that change, you'll have to manually do it after the fact. But if you're doing a fresh install of 2104 or beyond, yeah, private home folders, man. What do y'all think? Does this matter to you at all? Home folders, private? Well, it, it's a step
3: in the right direction. Um, it probably won't impact me a lot since, you know, I'm on the only user on any of my computers because I'm the only one that really likes Linux in my house. But it, I really do see that as a step in the right direction, just having that little bit of extra security by default.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, one one thing to kind of drive the point home, though, is even if you run, you know, Docker or this snap or that snap or whatever, if if these things have access to read into home and you store, I don't know... Private keys in your home folder uh with the wrong permissions, right? I mean, if you don't actually take the time to to go and do that, or you know, you have a copy of your private key not in DOS SSH with the correct permissions, you know, any of those processes could just reach in and pull it out because of the way that they're set. So nah, uh, yeah, I, I think this is a great that. change. Right, right. Nobody accidentally copies their private key to the wrong spot. Nobody does As that. As I quick search in my home folder to see if there's one in there. what's a private key now this one does not apply to you then moss (laughs) (laughs) or i'm an idiot nah if you don't use them then uh it doesn't really it doesn't really make sense to talk about them too terribly much but basically the 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 idea is uh you have a public and private key the public key is uh kind of like a padlock that you will put on any server that you want to log into and the private key is the key that goes into that padlock You'd never ever you want to share use that Proton private mail. key. It's all
3: automated. Yeah,
1: you never ever want to share your private key with anybody but yourself, um, because if you do, then someone can then just copy, 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 copy. Right? If you shared your master lock key with somebody, then they could go take it to a home uh, a home hardware store and make about a million copies of it, and then just get into all of your doors and all of your stuff. So, yeah, that's that's the basic gist of it. Anyway, new development in uh, CentOS 8, going to kick you off their platform real fast uh, mode. Project Linux. I mentioned this before, but I mispronounced it as Linux, which is not. It's Lenix from Cloud Linux gets a name, Alma Linux. And Alma means soul in Spanish and a lot of other Latin languages. Uh, So this is like Linux for your soul, the soul of Linux all rolled into this distro. Um but yeah I mean not much else has changed on that front but uh yeah the one of the CentOS 8 successors or at least one of the ones trying to be a successor uh now renamed to Alma Linux.
2: Well actually I heard one other thing on the uh CentOS um RHEL front and that's that they're giving away up to I think it's up to 16
1: licenses for free use oh, you're uh, right. for companies. Yes. Good call. Yep, uh 16 uh per account I think is what it is. Right, yeah, and, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, I don't maybe it was you. I don't know someone was saying that they were going to check no, it. I think
2: it was Beau, that That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah, about it was so, um, yesterday.
1: I mean, uh, we'll see. We'll see when when you get angry tweets about ah oh, Red Hat took me down. I was doing 17.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm sure a lot of people in the uh corporate environment are paying attention to this uh that are probably on CentOS 7 now. And wondering what they're going to go to because they're not going to go to stream. I feel like in most corporate environments, the stream is just not considered to be stable enough.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's 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 close, but it's still not. It's, it's not what they signed up for. They did not sign up yeah. for a, and I know rolling release is not the right terminology for it, but it's basically a beta yeah. release for RHEL 8. I mean, that's not what they signed up for. They signed up for, you know, after RHEL gets it. That's when I want it. I want it, you know, tested, 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 Um, you know, and I don't mind the the time it takes for that to come down to me. Um, I don't know. Oracle Linux, right? And everybody gags.
5: (laughs) Well, that's one of my main reasons for not wanting to run Fedora is that uh, it has limited uh, lifespan on each release and they haven't had a great record at upgrading from one release to another. Upgrades have always been pretty good
1: to me on uh, on Fedora. I don't, I cannot recall a time you've been lucky. Uh, I mean, I, I just cannot recall a time where Fedora choked during uh, during the upgrade. But yeah, I mean, hey, uh, right? I mean, we have people complaining about the Linux Mint upgrade too. I guess not. N- no upgrade is perfect. <laughs> anyway, just a quick update on the gaming front uh, for those that were wondering: Hey, is Valve just going to keep throwing money at Linux? The answer is yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't get a whole lot of return for that, uh, but. I mean, they have proven time and time again their commitment to making sure that things work on Linux just fine. And I mean, we saw that with uh Cyberpunk twenty seventy-seven running a couple of days after release. That That's right, yeah. And is it, insanely impressive.
0: And my understanding is that it ran terribly exactly as it does on Windows. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: ah man yeah unoptimized but not as
3: bad as it ran on the playstation yeah playstation 4 and the xbox
2: one those
1: poor poor consolers
2: man i love the i love the videos on that though that they were the best
1: oh the ones where it like took forever for everything to start to render
2: well not only that but like someone would just be standing there looking into the distance and you see this little dot and all of a sudden it would get closer and closer and as it got closer you realized it was a car flying through the air coming at you
1: oh god Yeah, those those are just oh man, Uh, I've seen video after video after video comparing uh, Cyberpunk 2077 to other games like that were released in 2002 and 2004 and 2008 that do things better than Cyberpunk. But oh man, what a history will not be kind to CD Projekt Red on this particular topic uh, ever. (laughs) Just it was not a good release. There hasn't been not.
2: There has this has been the worst release in a long time that I've noticed.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the the upshot to this is that Valve made Cyberpunk 2070, or they they contributed to the the horrible running of it on wind uh, on Linux, but just as it did on Windows. So I, I think that's still a huge step forward, a really good signal for those of us gaming on Linux. And they, we've, I've got a quote from the uh, basically the State of the Union of 2021. How it's going to go, how things are going, all that. Uh, Linux. We're continuing to invest in technology that improves game compatibility and performance through Steam Play. We're also putting together new ways for prospective users to get into Linux gaming and experiences experience these improvements. So I mean, it's it's your 2021 commitment from Valve. In 2022, I'll expect another post with another commitment to Linux gaming uh again. But you know, this is good. Linux is less than 1% in Steam, yet would they still, Valve will still throw money at this? It is a lost leader for them. And I just appreciate every single day that they do this. So another one that uh I was hesitant to put in here, but uh ah, why not? Let's stir the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Chrome cutting off API access to everyone but themselves. Sync no longer available. I was uh, reading the original post, and if you click on the link on this one, you'll, uh, you'll actually get to read the post on Chromium where it talks about, during a recent audit, we discovered that some third-party Chromium-based browsers were able to integrate Chrome features such as Chrome Sync and click-to-call that are only intended for Google's use, blah, 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 right? So what they're saying is browsers like not... Opera or Brave or Vivaldi, those all have their own ecosystem for syncing. But other lesser-known browsers were adding in Chrome Sync and other features, and Chrome was like, eh, no, we're just going to cut it all off for everybody, even if you don't use it. It's just, nope. And one of the things about this, this is not really that big of 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 a gut punch for most people, except for people that are running Chromium. And on a first read... Google actually doesn't even reference Chromium. They reference third-party Chromium-based browsers. Not Chromium, but third-party Chromium-based browsers. Chromium is not Chromium-based. Chromium is Chromium. So, But on first read, it would seem like Chromium dodged a bullet on this one. Well, that's not how it reads if you follow the Fedora Twitter uh, because you have... A couple of folks that were jumping in to you know yell the sky is falling. Tim, uh, Tom Calloway, one of those. So he says Google has announced that it's cutting off access to Sync and other Google exclusive APIs from all builds except Google Google Chrome. Uh, this will make the Fedora Chromium build significantly less functional. And then he does clarify down uh, a, a question by um, Bulio Get. He asks, the Chromium dev blog says third-party Chromium-based browsers, and this was my thought too, right? Is Chromium third-party now or what? I don't understand. And then Tom uh, Calloway comes back and clarifies, says that Google clarified and says, yeah, um, if it ain't built by Google themselves, it's third-party. So yeah, even though third-party Chromium-based does not specifically say Chromium, it does mean Chromium too. So the reason I really wanted to bring this up is not because uh, I use Chromium or anything like that, but to ask a question that I have had for a long time, if you're going to use Chromium and you're just going to slap all the Google crap into it anyway, why aren't you using Chrome? Why, why do you... Why? Why, why Chromium? Well, I don't get that. A couple
3: of reasons. One, uh, Chrome doesn't run on a Pi 3. Um, okay, valid Chromium point there. does uh does. Two, uh, sometimes you want a completely separate browser that is still Chrome or Chrome-based, well, Chromium in this okay, case, so, so in, uh, that you can log into
1: with a completely separate account. Well, not anymore. And keep it completely separate. Well, at least not with and, Sync. So, now you no longer can. So on that point, I mean, would it bother you to move to Brave or Vivaldi or Edge or some other Chromium-based variant? They're all basically the same performance.
3: Well, if they come up with their own sync solution, then no, it wouldn't bother me. It'd be just the same thing. If I were still doing the whole separate
1: account for Chromium. So so for you, Chromium is a choice because it's convenient, not not because it's the best one or something. Right. Oh, okay, cool. I mean that that that's a respectable stance to have. But I you know, for 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 the folks that remember Linux Mint remember that that whole thing? Where Chromium was not available because Linux Mint didn't ship Snap, and now they ship Chromium, and now, you know, Chromium is available in Flatpak 2, so, you know, you know, all, all of that is water under the bridge, I mean, unless you like holding grudges, but, um, right, like, why was Chromium such a big deal? You could totally get other Chromium-based browsers that, that worked just as well, in my opinion, but, I mean, I, I don't know, I, I didn't understand why it was such a big deal to not have access to Chromium, um, even, even for a short amount of time.
5: Is this going to be something we're going to see uh, Google walk back on when the community gets all upset with them over it? What community? People don't care about Chrome. People that use Chrome don't even
1: know they're using Chrome. It's just that circly colorful thing that they click on to get to Facebook.com. I I, Uh, I think the majority— Maybe you're right
5: and maybe you're wrong.
1: I I think, to be honest with you, I really think I'm right on this one. They will not budge for people in Linux, not even an inch. They won't give an inch to us, but— you know, they, they might give an inch if 40% of their 60% market share starts to starts to give rumblings or something like that. But really, really, there have been tons of times where Google killed something or changed something and people were all up in arms about it. Remember Google Wave? Yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then what did Google do? Nothing. What do they care? You're going to keep using Google stuff anyway. So why would they change? Yeah, they're
0: notorious for getting rid of stuff even if there's outcry over it.
1: Yeah, they don't care. They they do not care. So uh, just an interesting an interesting thing. I, and if if you have a if if you use Chromium and you really 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 just love Chromium for something, what is the killer feature? Why not just move to Chrome? Uh, and and you know does this even show up on your radar? Do you care about this particular thing? Send us an email. Uh, talk about it in Telegram or Discord. Let us know. I'm 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 very curious about why people use Chromium over chrome i used it because you know i could pseudo app install chromium and it was just there and i could use it as a browser but you know when i realized linux mint was dropping and i was like okay well i guess i install vivaldi now so that, that was really the only thing that that it came out to me anyway that'll do it for the news so we'll head down to the security update keep it quick i'm gonna blame it on bo uh rhymes with joe so it's almost as good uh every time we have bo on the show i swear the front half gets gets huge and it's not necessarily bo's fault we just i don't know we just tend to talk more when uh when bo's around you're 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 no, extra it's special fault. <laughs> i interject a lot well, <laughs> you, well we you, didn't, six you didn't even people do it this episode this you didn't even do it a lot this episode and i swear we're still we're still massive so it, it's not directly your fault but i'm gonna blame you anyway
5: we have six people on the show when we have four or five it's shorter. Yeah, true. Okay.
1: And we started early. That's true. All right. So uh, I'll make this quick. This, this really will actually hopefully be a five-ish minute uh, security thing. And it's really not even directly security related. I just really wanted to talk about this because I like Brave a lot. Um, interplanetary file system. Guys, this is a way to keep the internet up and make it extremely resilient and have nothing to do with Google. This is one of my favorite features that have come out on the internet of, of, of a while, in a while. I mean, the, the DNS over HTTPS thing, I mean, that was really cool because you could you could kind of mask some of your DNS stuff from specific people or whatever. But I mean, if you were interested enough, you could kind of reverse that and figure it out, right? That was a cool feature, but not like this. This is different. This is something that would be... So groundbreaking if it catches on. So real quick, originally created back in 2015, the, the purpose, like BitTorrent, is to make file storage uh, on the web distributed to increase the resilience of the web by allowing people that opt in to IPFS to store little bits of data that they've seen uh, and share it out when somebody else geographically close to them makes a request. Think about it like this. We go to Mintcast.org all the time. Let's say we turn on IP, IPFS And we also become a local node that that way we can share out stuff. If someone, you know, in my city was looking for Mintcast.org, they wouldn't download the content from Mintcast.org. They would download it from me and then get anything that I didn't have from Mintcast.org or somebody else around me that has also gone to that website and opted into IPFS. So it can speed up the web. Because, I don't know, if you're in the U.S. and you go to mincast.org, it's a little slow because, you know, it's hosted in the U.K. So it takes a little while to get over there, right? I mean, but IPFS can help with that by giving you the bigger assets uh, and then just, you know, grabbing the rest of the stuff that you don't have stored from mincast.org. So it has that perception of being faster. Um, and then as well, what happens if mincast.org goes down, right? Everybody else that's involved in IPFS can continue to serve up mintcast.org and you don't have to use archive.org or something like that to to do that you know and 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 put extra strain on them by the way donate to them because they are fantastic um but right it, it takes the load off of them a little bit yet they can still be their their archival thing and that's that's the deal right like ipfs is fantastic and allows you to take some of the load off of those single points of failure that exist on the internet. And so so uh, as Josh found out earlier, turning on IPFS is super easy. You just go click in the settings. That's that's it. That's literally it. And then once you go to an IPFS website or, or one that is uh, enabled or enhanced by IPFS, Brave will ask you, hey, you want to be a local node? You want to do this gateway thing? Uh, and if you say yes, then you also will start to... Uh, divvy out any kind of information that you have that that somebody else might be requesting. And here's why I think it is so cool. And here's why I think we need it. Google AMP. So for those of you that don't know what Google AMP is, it's basically IPFS, but Google controls it. And here's the thing. If you enable AMP on your website, then Google will go and download all the crap and then put it on their servers and then it will distribute it to you based on your geographic location. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's basically IPFS, right? And that's, that's uh, how that works, right? And it will be fast because Google's serving it up to you. Uh, it's going to be resilient because Google has servers all over the world. And it gives you peace of mind because you know if your server goes down, Google, right? Every, every good point about IPFS is mirrored in Google AMP. But the difference is Google does not control IPFS nor could they. No one could. IPFS is a protocol like BitTorrent to where you take down one, you can't take down another. If for those of you, for those of you that are really decrying censorship right now, this is something you should be paying attention to. This is a way to keep a website up regardless of who decides they should be up or should be down or whatever the deal may be. Now, the reason that I, I I mentioned Brave earlier in this segment is that there's only one browser in the entire world, at least popular, that implements IPFS. Not by default, you have to go turn it on, you have to opt in, and that's a good thing, I think. You know, features like this should be opt in. That browser is Brave. So for all that stuff I said at the top of the show about oh, you can, you know, they're they're doing the web right because you can do ads and you know all this stuff and you can pay can. Uh, uh, Content creators and all that stuff, right? That that's great. And then also this, this is another fantastic thing. And Chrome is looking into adding IPFS, so it's not like they're far behind or anything like that. And it's not like they're trying to stifle innovation in this in this area. But having uh, Google control pretty much all of everything out there, I think, is a security issue for the same reason that I think Chromium-based browsers dominating the market is a security issue, right? So, I mean, you know, me me harping on Brave kind of goes against that idea. But, you know, you get IPFS with that, which is okay. And Firefox is looking at uh, implementing IPFS as well. So, yes, another reason to use Firefox.
5: So, I have a question. Leo? Oh, sorry, you go first, Moss. Yeah. Okay, wouldn't the ultimate be a completely distributed internet like Beaker Browser is trying to do? Well, I, I think functionally
1: um, Brave is certainly more popular than Beaker Browser. Uh, so this would. Well, cert- yeah,
5: but that's because Google runs everything, you know, well, no, no, we, no, no. if we want to get totally out of Google, then Beaker is the only way to go. So
1: I, I think one of the big issues with something like that is that you have to actually get it installed on people's machines. And I mean, how easy is it to to set that up? It takes seconds. Okay. I mean, so, uh, you know, honestly, this is something that I'll have to look into because I don't know enough to say, you know. IPFS is better. But one of the things that, that I will say is IPFS is a, um, is a global standard, is something that is already written and ratified and anybody can, can implement it. So if you mm-hmm. have to use a specific browser to do it, then that might be less of a value than well. it's coming in Brave, it's coming in Firefox, it'll come in other <laughs> Chromium-based browsers as well. So IPFS may be the way to go just because it's going to get more airtime.
5: Well, Beaker is a project of Sir Tim Berners-Lee, who, as they say, invented the Internet. Yeah, yeah. So.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I'll look into that. We'll talk about it some more. But, um, yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to say honestly, I just don't know enough about it to say anything smart. So (laughs) so I'll refrain for now. Anyhow, Uh, No,
2: Leo. um, I just wanted to ask now, does it only work like for, for Brave? Let's just focus on Brave. Does it only work between Brave browsers and the nodes that they have, or can this work like, let's say, Firefox implements it? Would it work between Firefox nodes and Brave's nodes, or is it only those nodes unless they like form a
1: standard? Oh, so that's that's a oh man, that's a really good question. That's I a should really have good had question. the end. An- yeah, so the answer is yeah, it'll work with anything because okay. IPFS is like IP addressing, so it's, it's like, like a standard in, in itself. Exactly. Okay. So if you sign on to the standard, then you are also agreeing that you're not going to break it for other people. So right. yes, an- another. You're just going mean, to continue it, continue to make it better as you make ex- more nodes. Exactly. IPFS is a is an agnostic protocol, just like HTTPS is. Okay. I don't care what browser you're using. I'm going to serve it up to you. Whatever you do, right. what you want to with it. Yeah. All right. Well. Um. Cool. So yeah, that'll do it for the security. Well, that's it. That's all. That's totally it. And I realize now, uh as we as we come down to the announcements, um <laughs> the second half of this show is going to be tiny. <laughs> uh I guess there's there's only yep, so many times darn you can stable say Stable
2: Linux
5: Mint. And
1: seriously, there's only so many times you can say Linux Mint 20.1 is working just tried fine for,
5: Arch. for me. All uh, right. See, we yeah. We need to get Tony a break, you well, know. That uh, yeah. Owen <laughs> Owen, oh, well, he's gonna
1: have uh, a uh, a heavy first half, uh, but a less heavy second half. So I'm you know. not
5: talking about Owen. I'm talking about Tony's back doing this show. Oh, <laughs> true. It is. Uh, yeah, we're about
1: half hour early most of the time. So good, cool. Anyhow, our next episode will be 2 p.m. Central U.S. time on February 7th, 2021. And we've got the link. I'll update on the update that on the website over the next day or two. So. And um, yeah, it'll it'll convert it all for you. So just go click that link. Um, oh, uh, and by the way, that that's going to be at mintcast.org/live streams. So go check that out. All right. Well, that's it for the show. So Joe, where can we find more you? Well, you can catch
3: me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which is www.tllts.org. Um, we record every Wednesday evening. You can catch me on Linux Lugcast, which is www.linuxlugcast.com. And that's uh, the first and third Friday of every month. And we're happy to always have uh, other people come onto the show and hang out with us and talk about what they find interesting in Linux. Um, you can find me on MeWe, or you can send me an email directly, jb at Bo, how about you?
0: Uh, just check out my YouTube channel. I'm trying to do a lot more stuff on there. Um, as COVID kind of slowed me down for two weeks, but I'm trying to hit it hard in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, that's Undercast Collective on YouTube. How about you, Moss?
5: Well, you can find me on my It's Moss website. I'm on MeWe. I have blogs at Peaceful and LinuxQuestions.org. My music is on Bandcamp and on various YouTube channels. There are three separate links there. Moss at Mintcast.org. Uh, You can find me on Mastodon at 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 hosttux.social. If you want a quick response emailing me, you should write me at zyvalananda at protonmail.ch, and that's in the show notes. And I have a sponsor, so I'm up to three sponsors. Tony, what about you?
4: Yeah, well, I'm on Hacker Public Radio, host ID 338. Uh, I've got my occasional blog uh, at tony Hughes.blogspot.com. I'm on Twitter, TonyH1212. You can get me at TH at MintCast.org and DistroHopper'sDigest at gmail.com.
1: Tony Watts not here this time, but uh, TW at MintCast.org or just search up Echoes of Savages. Josh. I think you can find me at Josh on Tech at... Oh crap, what's
2: the uh what's the uh... mintcast.org, yeah, Josh, it. it's our website. Mintcast. Come on. Mintcast.org. <laughs> mintcast.org. I got it. I got it. Leo didn't say that. I did it. Anyway, true. no. I'm just kidding. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> um and um at uh protonmail.com as well as and um at josh on tech on Twitter and Discord and Telegram and all those other social sites.
1: As for me, Leo Chavez.org and at Leo Chavez on Twitter. Uh, I've got a mintcast.org one too, Leo at, um, I also do Linux user space, uh, as well. So go check that out and you can get your five minute news digest at full circle weekly news. I also, uh, I spun up one of those coffee things. So, um, you can totally buy me a coffee if you want to do that. If, if you've, if you've donated to audacity and you donated to archive.org and you still have three extra bucks, you can buy me a coffee. So there'll be a link for that. Anyhow, but before... Do we get to pick the coffee? Uh, you know you know what? Like, can we keep sending you double and triple
3: espressos and see what That's, happens? You
1: know what? Yeah. And and I'll drink it right before the show, and I will speak even faster than I did during the feedback, which was, whoa. <laughs> I was I like, am okay with this. I, I was really thinking, like, uh, I need to get through this really fast because it's, uh, you know, I want to keep the show short or whatever. And then I realized, oh, the second half of the show is not long at all. <laughs> uh,
5: okay. I don't think we'll get complaints about that.
1: Yeah, probably not. Anyhow, uh, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make MintCast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. Hobstar for our logo. And Londoner for our time sync. And news, by the way. So much news from Londoner. Thanks. ByteMark Hosting for hosting MintCast.org and our Mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR for our backup Mumble room. And, of course, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Clem, Thanks, Clem. and, Clem. Thanks, Clem. and Clem.
3: This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com You can follow both MintCast and Linux Mint on Twitter at MintCast and at Linux underscore Mint Thanks to Mark Blasco at PodcastThemes.com for our theme music and thanks for listening to this episode of Linux.
5: rapid stop so, you
1: know actually how long was the first half was it like uh, it was like an hour 50 wasn't it